students, let's talk about book nine, Homer's Odyssey today. We began this a little bit uh, last time we were talking. Odysseus is, of course, on Scoria on the Phaeacian Island. It is the tenth of ten years along his journey, and he is now telling about the first parts of his journey to Alcanoas and his kingdom before he receives a ride home on the magical Phaeacian ships. And so he's explaining who it is he, he is by saying what it is that he's done and where it is that he has been. And so, along his journey after Troy, and we recall this from last time, he first goes to Ismaros to encounter Trojan allies called the Kikones or the Kikonians. Now, this seems very natural because Odysseus had just defeated the Trojans, and one thing that we know that the nobles during these ancient Achaean times would do is they would pillage and they would pirate. In fact, one of the questions frequently asked to me is why is it that Achille, or excuse me, why is it that Odysseus seems to have so much cattle? And I would say, well, if he lives on a jagged little island, how do you think he acquires cattle? Well, by marauding about and stealing cattle from other kingdoms by defeating them in combat. Very interesting sort of thing. And so, what is it that he wants to do for fun right after defeating the Trojans? Well, he wants to do essentially the same thing he just did, which is defeat another people and plunder their goods and he does it but there's an issue and this illustrates a theme that we're going to see over and over and over again a discrepancy between Odysseus's judgment and his crews now bit of insight Odysseus is obviously what now on Scoria does he have a crew so he's alone so his crew is gone what does that mean about the difference between Odysseus's judgment and his crew's judgment, would we think? Odysseus's judgment is clearly better. So whenever the crew and their judgment diverges from Odysseus, will that lead to good outcomes or bad outcomes? Bad outcomes especially for the crew. And so that's what happens here. The Achaeans, the Ithacans, under Odysseus's command are successful they defeat the Kikones. they plunder them awesome good time but they make a mistake though odysseus says we don't know this area we don't know these people we don't know their allies we don't know how quickly their allies could get here nor, nor do we know the fighting strength or number of men in the force that their allies might have we should just get out of here because we don't know a lot of things that we should know his men however take themselves with drink become drunk we'll see that that's also a theme that those people who foolishly drink at the wrong time uh come to no good in fact we'll see that with polyphemus we'll see that with the suitors as well in fact we'll see very famously a suitor drinking wine and well then something uh then you'll see the wine sort of shooting hmm. how to say this i'll say it when it's the proper time you will see a suitor drinking wine and then something very terrible will happen to him because it's just the wrong time for that and so Odysseus says, we shouldn't be drinking here. We shouldn't stay here. We don't know what's going on here. We should go. Unfortunately, his men do not agree with him, and he's sort of democratic. You'll see this over and over. He is not an autocrat. He does not just tell his men what to do. Uh, that His leadership is sort of a looser leadership. If everybody wants to stay, he's the sort of leader that's like, okay, well, that's the will of the people. He seems to be that sort of man. And so they stay. That said, in the morning... They are ambushed by the more warlike companions of the Kikones. Six men per ship are killed. That's six per 12 ships. Recall that there are 12 ships 
of Odysseus's. That means that their stay overnight was a wise or a foolish decision. Foolish. Who should they have listened to? And so, here is one additional question. If your leader shows himself to have better judgment than you, because his judgments would lead to better outcomes than your judgments, what might you start to think about your leader and his judgment? That it is worth what? Worth listening to, exactly. Can you guess what his men are going to have such weak character that they do not realize? That they should listen to their leader. Because he has their best interests in mind. Because he's their leader. It's like he's a shepherd and they're the flock. Very good. All right. They flee the Caconians and they arrive at the next place. And well, this next place is a very weird place. So on the way there, and so they don't quite get there. And these are lines 82 to 105. Very short, very, very short segment. This Lotus Eater segment. Zeus sends a brutal storm which rips the sails off of the ships. It's almost as if, if I'm really thinking in terms of imagery and contemporary sort of movies, it's almost like when you see storms, you go from the normal known world into an unknown world. Can anybody think of a movie that's very famous for a storm coming and going from, say, a black and white, normal, whatever, gray world to a world of kaleidoscopic colors full of gold like a heaven world? Yes? Wizard of Oz. Very, very, very good. The Wizard of Oz. And you know, sometimes there are interesting entry ways into seeming underworlds or magical places. One without a storm, too. Can anybody recall another story, children's story, Disney, where a young lady is living a boring, normal life, tea parties and such, and yet stumbles down a rabbit hole and finds herself in sort of a magical place? Yes? Alice in Wonderland. And so this seems to be sort of a theme that something major happens that disorients you and you go from known territory to which territory? Unknown territory. And in unknown territory, since you do not know the place, what do you use in your mind to produce images to start to understand the place? Your what? Your imagination. And so that's why unknown territory on old maps is populated with what? In the waters, of course. Sea monsters and dragons. And so when you find yourself in unknown territory, like Harry Potter for the first time, you are now in a world of what? Magic, because you do not know how things work. And so, two days are spent resting on the mainland. And then an additional 10 days are taken to reach the Lotus Eaters, past a place called Kathera, an island. The Lotus Eaters are the first of the odd, magical, very strange creatures or people that we meet. We get very little information about them, which makes them very what to us? Mysterious. And so this is what we hear. They are unwarlike. So do they seem like a danger to us? Do they seem like a danger to us? No, not at first glance. But what is the theme that we know is always operating in Homer, in the Odyssey? Nothing is as it seems. Are these lotus eaters potentially dangerous, though they do not seem it? Very much so. And so just a couple of things about them. It is said that they are not eaters of bread. 
Something very weird in these stories is that what makes a person or a people normal is that they eat bread. If you eat, are an eater of bread, that suggests that you harvest crops. That suggests that you have some knowledge of what? What is it that we do in order to produce crops that we then eat? Farming. Farming, agriculture. That is a normal course of human society. These people exist outside the normal course of human society. I used to have a theory about them, that the lotus eaters are humans who have lost their way, that they are not actually a people that has a law or a way of being, but that they are an accumulation of people who have all lost their way home. And what draws them together? Well, the honey do sweet honey, or excuse me, the sweet honey tasting lotus. And so what does the lotus do to one? Well, you eat it, and then you forget your homecoming. It sounds very much like a what? We've probably joked with each other about it sounding just like this. It sounds like a what? A drug, exactly. In fact, uh, in my Greek edition of the Odyssey, there is a suggestion by the, the scholar named Stafford, or Stanford, that the specific drug was an opiate. An opiate like a, speaking of Wizard of Oz, what's that flower drug that puts Dorothy asleep? Does anybody recall? They're called poppies. Poppy seed muffins are known to make you, or at least there's an old wives tale, that if you eat a poppy seed muffin before a drug test, your results will show up negative, as in not showing evidence of drug use, or positive, as in yes, showing evidence of drug use. Positive. positive. That's right. Might be a wives' tale. In any case, the idea is that this is some sort of opium. Opium is the sort of drug that take. It is called an analgesic. It takes pain away from people. Now I want you to think about this. What is it that these men have just gone through? It might make it so that they want their pain to go away. Just like Menelaus and Helen, who take Nepenthe, also a drug from the Egyptians at night. What is it that these men have just gone through? Remember the Iliad. Who can tell me what it is that they have seen? Yes? Sure, sure. That's a very small version of what they've seen. What else have they seen? Yes? In what scale? Where? Yes? They've seen war. Why is it that these men might want to forget what it is that they've seen? So that they leave their pain behind. Now, here's the problem with the solution. Perhaps these lotus eaters take this drug to escape their pain from the past. But what does that also prevent them from doing? Mm -hmm. Moving on. Very good. Making it home. And so it's a very unsophisticated solution. On the one hand, you do solve one problem, but you create a much bigger one on the back end. And so I think this is a very sophisticated way of thinking by the Odyssey. Are they saying there are ways to get rid of your pain, at least temporarily? Yes. Are they saying that the costs of these measures are far beyond the benefits, however, as well? Yes, and in fact, these men do become addicted. Does anybody recall what Odysseus has to do himself to get his two men and Harold back? Or his two men as Harold does come back. What does he physically has to do to these men? He drags them back himself. And I think he even has to tie them up to keep them from jumping into the water. Which suggests that once the drug, the lotus, has hold of you, are you still in control of yourself? 
No. And so the, the price of giving up your pain to this lotus is to give up your own self-control and thus your desire and ability to make it home. Is that worth it? And that's a major question. Odysseus decides that for his name. He says, that was a foolish decision. Again, another foolish decision. Follow me. And then they leave. They leave. Very powerful, I think, that this is the first thing that we see. It's almost as if the suggestion is this. After a terrible thing happens in your life, or a 10-year-long terrible thing, like a war, what does probably everybody wish would just happen? That their pain would what? Go away! Of course! But in this world of the Odyssey, and perhaps even in this real world, is there anything without a cost? Perhaps to get rid of your pain, you would have to pay a cost far more dear than that which you would have to do to keep your pain. It's very interesting. Very interesting. All right, let's keep moving. Our third spot that we get to, and this is really the true beginning. We've seen Kikones, we've seen Lotus Eaters, but now we come to the Isle of the Cyclopes. A couple things about, couple things about the Cyclopes. We know that they used to be neighbors of the Phaeacians when the Phaeacians were led by Eurymedon, a giant who was the father of Nausithoos. We know that they're giants. We know also that they are sons of Poseidon. One note on Cyclops. It comes from two Greek words. Kuklos, which means, which is where we get our word cycle from. If you have a bicycle, you have two what's on that. Wheels, so they are which geometric shape? Circles. That is why we call it the cycle of the ages, because we look at time, and this is why clocks are shaped like this, as a what? As a circle or a cycle. Yes, very good, very good, very good. Ops is where we get the word optics from. If you go to your optometrist, you're going to get some what? New. So Cyclops means circle eye. Some scholars have suggested that what these Cyclops are are one-eyed giants. Some others have suggested that the specific Cyclops that we're going to see, Polyphemus, has one eye because perhaps one has been uh, plucked out or knocked out during something because it is said uh, that he has multiple eyebrows, though just one eye. Possibly he could just have multiple eyebrows. So the idea, though, is that he only has one eye. And this is why I want you to focus on that. Because you have two eyes, you can see three-dimensional space. You can see how far something is from you. If you only had one, it's much harder. In fact, uh, if you ever try and, like, if you want to really annoy yourself, put a pillow over one of your eyes and then try and type on your cell phone. Try and send a text message. You'll keep hitting the wrong keys. You'll get so frustrated so fast. Maybe do that experiment later. The idea is that he lacks depth perception. The idea is that he lacks depth, that he sees in a shallow, superficial way. He sees that which is in front of him, the Cyclops, but he cannot see beyond. He cannot see what lies beneath or farther ahead into the future. He's like a foolish human. More about the Cyclopes. They are known to be on no more. That means without laws. In fact, they do not have a society. They have caves. Each Cyclops family lives within a cave, and the cave that we are going to go in is a giant Cyclops named Polyphemus. He has no family. He has no children. 
So perhaps he's a very ugly Cyclops or a very mean one. Can attract a Cyclops wife to himself. Poor Polyphemus. Perhaps that's why he's so mad all the time. In any case, they have no ships. And even though they have crops, it is not because they tend to them. It's like Ogygia. It's like Scoria. Their crops just grow. And so do they even have many skills, these Cyclopes? No, it's not like they're a civilization at all. And so because they don't have the trappings of civilization, what might we expect them not to honor, which we need them to honor if we are going to be safe in their presence? The Zinnia. Exactly. Exactly. They don't have houses. They don't seem to be offering libations to the gods. They don't tend to their crops. They do shepherd a bit, interestingly enough. Uh, we will see Polyphemus shepherd, and then we'll see terrible things happen to his favorite ram, which will be very funny, especially given that how was Odysseus described in Book 3 of the Iliad as a what amongst sheep? A ram amongst sheep. Very interesting. And he's going he's gonna to do something very funny to Polyphemus very soon. In any case... The crew sleeps on the shore, and in the morning, after drinking Kikonian wine, again that theme, they set out to find out whether the Cyclopes are savage and without justice, hint, they are, or hospitable to strangers. This is where we start to feel uneasy, students. We make it to the cave, a cave of a Cyclops. His name is Polyphemus. He's son of Poseidon. Twelve companions of Odysseus enter. Can you guess how many do not exit? That's a good guess. Six? Definitely 12 don't exit. Which means what? I mean... Some will die. Some will not make it. So let's see what happens. The 12 companions go in. Odysseus makes sure to take excellent, unmixed, Cramnian wine. I want you to really think about this. You at first see this and you think, not so strange to take wine to a home where you could, say, drink it with the host. Very common sort of thing in that time and in this time. And yet it's an unmixed. What is it that we know about how the ancient Achaeans drink their wine? Always. That they mix it with water to dilute it. In fact, it's supposed to be 20 parts water, one part wine. That's a very thin mixture. If wine remains undiluted, it's far more likely to make you what? Drunk. And so a question I want you to keep in your heads while we read this and talk about this is this. Do you think Odysseus brings this wine precisely in order to get his host drunk should he find him to be lawless and savage? Or does he just bring it as a gift? Or is he preparing just in case? This man is dangerous. Keep that in mind. Yes, question. Um, so, I heard that the Romans used to use some kind of lead powder or sweetener. Makes sense. I'd have to look it up. Lots of strange, lots of strange things about nutrition. Lots of strange things. Uh, also, if you want to look up interesting things about the Romans, you can look up their medical procedures. They have some very weird ones. Very weird ones. In any case, Odysseus' proud heart has no idea who he will meet. And the men start to help themselves to food in the cave. And we're all very nervous about this because that doesn't seem very hospitable of them just to eat food. But it does seem like if this Cyclops does know hospitality, he would just say what to them anyway when he first met them, seeing that they are eating his food. Go ahead, have some food, your guests. That said, 
That is not how it's going to be. So Polyphemus shows up. Here's the first bit of scary. Uh, this is the first scary bit of information. The per first uh, hint that things are not going to go as we planned. Polyphemus shows up, comes in to his home, lets his sheep and rams in. And he closes, he pushes the boulder, which acts as a door to his cave, in place. <sighs> Sets. There's no moving that boulder without Polyphemus moving it again. Odysseus and his men are what? They're trapped. How do we start to feel? Are we uneasy, or do we feel just fine right now? We're very uneasy. We're now trapped in a cave with a giant one-eyed cyclops who's big enough to grab us by our feet and slam our heads against the wall should he want to. How do I know that? Let's keep talking. Polyphemus at first questions this stranger before offering hospitality. <clears throat> Already we know this is not how one acts in a hospitable way. Do you question a person first or do you feed them first? You feed them. Not happening here. Odysseus starts to get nervous. And so he starts to talk a bit like Glaucus with Diomedes in Book 6 of the Iliad. He says, we are Achaeans, noble Achaeans who followed Agamemnon, hoping that his name rings a bell. And we are supplicants at Polyphemus' mercy, and therefore we are protected by Zeus. And actually, Polyphemus very famously responds... I'll see if I can find this fast. It'll be, it'll be sort of hard to, just because I don't have, oh, oh my goodness, oh, around 253, 255, he scoffs. We are Achaeans, I'll start with Odysseus. This is line 259 in book 9. We are Achaeans coming from Troy, beaten off our true course by winds from every direction across the great gulf of the open sea. Sounds very Dantistic, very like Dante in his first three lines of the Inferno. Making for home by the wrong way on the wrong courses. So we have come, so it has pleased Zeus to arrange it. We claim we are of the following, of the son of Atreus Agamemnon, whose fame now is the greatest thing under heaven. Such a city was that he sacked and destroyed so many people. But now in turn we come to you in our suppliants at your knees. And if you might give us a guest present, or otherwise some gift of grace, for such is the right of strangers. Therefore, respect the gods, O best of men. We are your suppliants, and Zeus, the guest god, who stands behind all strangers with honors due them, avenges any wrong towards strangers and suppliants. And now I'm going to read what Polyphemus has to say in response. And all I would like for you to answer is, does he seem like someone who is going to offer the zinnia or hospitality, or someone who is not? So I spoke, but he answered me in pitiless spirit. Stranger, you are a simple fool, or come from far off when you tell me to avoid the wrath of the gods or fear them. The Cyclopes do not concern themselves over Zeus of the Aegis, nor any of the rest of the blessed gods, since we are far better than they. That is called hubris, by the way. And for fear of the hate of Zeus, I would not spare you or your companions either, if the fancy took me otherwise. But tell me, so I may know. Where did you put your well-made ship when you came? Nearby or far off? Very interesting. So what is it that Polyphemus says that he does not respect and 
nor do any of the Cyclopids. Zeus and the gods, the ones who maintain the Xenia. If Zeus, if fear of Zeus is that which makes you treat strangers with respect and not harm them, and he doesn't respect Zeus, what is he willing to do to strangers? Is he directly saying to us right now? He's willing to harm them. That's exactly right. And so he says, where's your ship? What does he obviously want to do when he asks where Odysseus's ship is? He wants to go to his ship and do what? And do what with those people on it? Ah, Odysseus is too wily, though. He sees through this because he is not one-dimensional in his scene. Odysseus is too crafty, though, and says, my ships were destroyed, sparing the rest of his men. Well, Polyphemus then attacks. He picks up two of Odysseus's companions. This is very brutal. By the feet, he slams their head against the ground, and their brains go everywhere. He then skins them and roasts them in front of Odysseus and makes a meal out of them. I don't mean to be too brutal, but I do mean to be exact about this. You can only imagine what would be all over the floor of that cave. Bits of skull, jaw, brains, blood. And cooking, when you cook something, what often fills the air, especially meat? The smell of that meat is often very, mmm. So what must have filled the air of that enclosed space, that cave? The smell of Odysseus's friends being cooked and then eaten. I imagine is very vomit-inducing, very wretched. What a, what a terrible thing to have to, to have fill your nostrils, the smell of your dead friends. I wonder if it recalls to him the smell of Patroclus burning on his pyre. In any way, in any case, Odysseus considers killing this Polyphemus. But if he kills this Polyphemus, how will he get out of the cave? He can't. He and his men are not strong enough to move this boulder. And so if he kills Polyphemus, and Polyphemus dies, who else will die? Everybody in that cave. So Polyphemus has to stay alive. So Odysseus is really going to have to what up a solution. Think up a solution. Think up a solution. And so Polyphemus awakens in the morning. Odysseus has still not thought of anything. Polyphemus wants some breakfast. Can you guess what a good breakfast would be for him? Two new men. Picks them up by the feet, slams their head against the ground, cooks them up, four down, eight to go, plus Odysseus. Not that good a time for Odysseus. <clears throat> he then moves the boulder, goes outside, moves the boulder back in front of the door, and goes about his business, Odysseus is still trapped. He's got to think. He's now angry. He's now scared. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? Well, he hatches a plot. Odysseus is no slouch. His back is against the wall. He's been in this situation before in Troy. He's been in terrible situations before. This is not unknown territory to him, though in some ways it is. He's never run into a Cyclops before, but he has run into opponents that he had to think at that he had to outthink in order to defeat, including the Trojans. And the Trojans were humans, so they were smart. Who knows whether this Cyclops is smart or not? We will soon see. 
And so this is his plot. He will go and speak blandishingly to Polyphemus. He'll call him a king and say that he's so smart and so strong. He'll flatter him. And then he'll offer him a guest gift of Pramnian wine, unmixed. Unmixed so that Polyphemus quickly becomes what? Drunk. Drunk, which means that he will be less or more intelligent. Less. And in fact, he will be more likely to just fall asleep. And when he falls asleep, what is it that Odysseus wants to do? Well, he can't kill him, because if he kills him, what will happen to Odysseus, because he cannot move the boulder, which functions as the door to the cave? He will starve to death and die eventually. He will die, and so will his men. Hmm. But Polyphemus has a walking stick made of olive. Again, olive trees, very helpful in this story. And something you should know is that the Athenians, when they were deciding which god would be their matron or patron god, can you guess which one it is, given that they are Athenians? Athena, of course. Poseidon supposedly offered them the horse. By some accounts, I think also a spring of water. Athena offered them an olive tree and the ability to cultivate the olive. They accepted the olive tree as many used, and they accepted thus Athena as their goddess. An olive tree here is very helpful. We'll see one be uh, helpful later, too. I believe Odysseus will hang from one over Charybdis. Perhaps it's a different tree, but we'll check that at that moment. Was it? Hmm. We also saw the olive trees function as a small home for Odysseus on Scoria. Trees. Very interesting, these trees in mythology. In any case, Odysseus will cut a piece off of this staff into a bit of a splinter, a pointed wooden stick. And then he and five other men, so it's still a rather large stick, stab it into Polyphemus's eye after heating it. Heating it in order for the wound to cauterize. Why would he want the wound to cauterize? It's very mean. It, it will then burn clothes. And when it burns clothes, it will never what? It will never heal. So Polyphemus will be what? Ah. Why would he want to make Polyphemus blind rather than dead? Well, what is it that Polyphemus does every day? Yes? It will punish Polyphemus, but he still needs to escape. Why is it that Polyphemus being blind might enable Odysseus and his men to escape? Can't see him. And what is it that Polyphemus does every day that might give Odysseus his sole chance of escaping? He leaves. He lets his cattle out, so he has to open the door. Okay, we're starting to see what might happen here. If Polyphemus opens the boulder and his rams start to come out, what if Polyphemus sits in front of the door and touches the tops of the rams? How could Odysseus possibly escape then? Ah, per perhaps Odysseus and his men could hide beneath the rams so that if, so that if Polyphemus is only touch touching the tops, he fails to see what lies beneath, perhaps they can escape because of Polyphemus' shallow perception of events. Perhaps they can escape if nothing is as it seems to Polyphemus. And so, Polyphemus returns yet again. 
it's dinner time now. And, well, he's really come, you know, he's got some leftovers. And what are leftover? Well, two additional men. Might as well pick them up by the feet, slam their heads, skin them, and eat them. Six men down, six men remaining, plus Odysseus. Well, Odysseus puts his plan into action. He begins to speak to Polyphemus ingratiatingly, blandishingly. He says, why don't you have some wine to go with your human flesh, Polyphemus? Nice red, to go with the nice red human meat. Three times Polyphemus drains the cup, recklessly, and then finally asks Odysseus' name, and perhaps the most famous part of this entire story, and certainly the most famous part of this particular episode is this. Odysseus famously does not give his name. He says that he is utis in the Greek language. No body. I'm just a nobody, he says. I'm just nobody. You will soon see why it is that he gives that name. Because the Cyclops then kindly suggests, you've given me a guest gift, nobody. How about I give you one? And this is his very kind guest gift. I will eat you last. Why is it that that is actually the cruelest thing? that Polyphemus can do to this nobody? Yes, sir. Because he has to watch all his friends die while also experiencing which emotion knowing that he will die at the end? Fear, right. He experiences the most fear and the most sadness and the most guilt if he lives longest. It's like a story that many uh, other ninth graders read which is called And Then There Were None. The greatest punishment is to be the one last alive to see all the others have to fall and to experience the fear of knowing that it, it is coming to one oneself. Interesting metaphor for life. Well, Polyphemus is rather vulgar. He's had a lot to drink tonight. If one drinks too much, what often happens to one? They throw up. And so what is it that Polyphemus does after drinking so much wine? He vomits. But when you vomit, you vomit up what you've eaten, as well as what you've drunk. What is it that he just recently ate? Humans. So what does he vomit out from his stomach and mouth? Parts, partially digested pieces of human. Jawbone, face, arm, maybe a hand. Disgusting. And I don't know if any of y'all have ever been sick and had to vomit. I don't mean to be vulgar here. But is vomit something that we like to smell as humans? Not at all. It smells like sickness and disease. And that is what it smells like in Polyphemus' cave. Plus human meat cooked. It's very, very gross. It calls to me a bit what Menelaus had to do to endure underneath the seal when he wanted to take Proteus. It would take a very strong stomach to keep things together at this moment. But Odysseus is resolved. He needs to survive. He hates this Cyclops. He wants to punish it. Something interesting, too. A question often asked back here was, does Zeus even punish those who go against the Xenia? Well, let's see. Let's see if he does so obliquely here. Odysseus and the four men then light up the end of the brand. They twirl it, and they puncture it into Polyphemus's eye. He stands up, and he screams, summoning all the Cyclopes from the other caves. And he says, famously, nobody is hurting me. And they say, who is hurting you? And he says, nobody. And so what do they assume? Very stupidly, they all assume that nobody is hurting him. 
and that he has gone crazy because the gods have afflicted him for something that he has done. And then they, like the friends to Job in the Old Testament, say what to him? Well, if the gods are harming you, you must deserve it. And there's nothing that we can do. Are they technically correct? They are correct that he deserves it. Are they correct that they could not help him? Perhaps, perhaps not. In any case, we'll finish this just before seminar tomorrow.